Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that's, not surprisingly, about how to be happier. This week we'll talk about why you might want to write a haiku and ask the question, are you a revealer or a concealer? I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, who I believe is a revealer. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yes, Gretchen, despite our Midwestern Protestant upbringing, I (laughs) agree, I am a revealer. Now, listen, you have some exciting news because Happier in Hollywood is launching tomorrow. Yes, I'm so excited. Um, It's a podcast that I'm co-hosting with my writing partner, Sarah. We're both obviously TV writers, as I announce every week on the show. (laughs) And this podcast is really at the intersection between work and friendship, because Sarah and I have been friends since we were freshmen in high school. And we talk about Hollywood. We kind of demystify a lot of, you know, what people might think about Hollywood, But we also really are going to talk about how to survive and thrive uh, at work, no matter where you are or what you do. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And in um, the first episode, in case anyone's wondering, Sarah and I pick a new work mantra. We love a good mantra. (laughs) And we talk to our agent about one of the worst calls he ever had to make to us. So if anyone's wondering what a real Hollywood agent sounds like, you will find out tomorrow on Happier in Hollywood. Yes. And so you know what to expect. The first episode of Happier in Hollywood will appear in your feed. So you'll get that one automatically so you can check it out. If you want to keep listening, though, you need to subscribe to Happier in Hollywood. Only the first episode will appear in your feed. And so, you know, it's just easy. Just subscribe for Happier in Hollywood. You'll get to see their their logo, which is very cool um, when you subscribe. So, Elizabeth, I just cannot wait for it to finally be out in the world. I'm so excited about it. I can't either. I hope everyone lets us know what they think, assuming they like it. If you don't like it, you don't need to let me know. <laughs> uh, no, just kidding. Uh, but anyway, I hope everybody likes it. And, Elizabeth, this week our Try This at Home tip is to write a haiku. This came to us from a listener. Um, but before we read her suggestion, I will just remind people that a haiku, if you don't know, is a Japanese poem of 17 syllables in three lines of five, seven, five. So it's a very short kind of poem. Traditionally, haiku is a a form of poetry that would typically evoke images of the natural world. But obviously, you could write a haiku about anything you wanted. But we had a listener who had a a haiku-related, tried this at home. Yes, this um, came to us from Anita in Brisbane. She said, for those who are trying to build mindfulness into their daily lives, I have a great tip, which I learned from a mindfulness meditation retreat I attended a few years ago. The best mindfulness technique that I have found has been to compose a very basic haiku each day in my mind. This means I need to focus on my surroundings for a few moments, usually, if possible, the natural surroundings. And quite often, the minutiae, such as a quivering blade of grass, a buzzing bee, the sunlight, the breeze, etc. It takes me no longer than one to two minutes per day to go from mindful observation to finished haiku and can be such a great way to switch off from the usual swirl of thoughts. 
For me, there is something about turning my mind to this very specific task and physically tapping out the syllables on my fingers as I compose, amend, and edit the poem in my mind, which can be very relaxing and gives me an excellent sense of mindfulness. Almost always, the end result is pleasing because it's such a forgiving format. Then she says, for example, the quick haiku that I composed after yesterday's walk with my son to school was... Arms shiver, cool breeze. Children skateboard, scoot and walk. Active school travel. She says, I very rarely write them down or share them like this. It's much more about the process than the end product for me. I went through a time a few years ago when I wrote them down each day in a small diary, which may be good for those who want a bit more than your one-line journal, but not too much more. I thought that this might give you or your listeners something to consider if they think they might benefit from a different take on the other standard mindfulness approaches. I have to say, I think this is a great idea because love it. for a couple reasons. One is this, her emphasis on mindfulness and sort of connecting with the moment, because this is something that people talk about with me all the time wanting to be mindful, wanting to calm and focus their attention, wanting to be present in the moment to connect with the world around them. And then also people want to be creative. They want to create something. They want the energy and the fun that comes from creating something. And this is a perfect combination of those things where it focuses you, it has this discipline, it gets you to connect with whatever's happening around you, but it's manageable. It's not 20 minutes of silent meditation in a dark room, which maybe might be hard to do or hard to work into your life. This is something that is another approach that could work in different circumstances and maybe for different people. One of the things I love about it is that I think we all feel good when we sort of accomplish goals each day. (laughs) And this is like a good, as she said, it really can take one to two minutes. And it's something you sort of do in your mind and tap out on your fingers. But yet, once you have done your haiku for the day, you can check that off the list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that's not part of mindfulness, but I think it's a nice side benefit to, to doing this. Yeah, it feels like a like a daily practice. I think if you call something a practice, it sounds like more high minded to you. Like this is my daily practice. Yeah. And as Anita says, it's a forgiving format. It's not like writing a sonnet or even a limerick. Right. Five seven five is pretty. It's pretty easy to get there if you have an idea in your head, and so it's satisfying. But like you say, you don't have to work so hard to get it accomplished. And in terms of doing a one sentence a day journal, Gretch, you know I have. Your one, your happiness project, one sentence a day journal, um, mm-hmm. which I love, but I might go a year between <laughs> entries. Um, but I do highly recommend it to everyone else. <laughs> if I did this instead of focusing on like surroundings, I focused on Jack, like a haiku about Jack every day and wrote it down. That would be its own form of one sentence journal, like she yeah, said. Right. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, it's a way of capturing impressions in a way that's different and feels more interesting, maybe. And I think that whenever there is discipline like this, the five, seven, five syllables, mm-hmm. it does clarify your thoughts. It's like what we talked about with the manifesto or with the mantra. When, when you have to distill, when you have to crystallize, it's a pleasing feeling. It's that you're cutting down to the essence and, and getting rid of everything that doesn't matter. And so it just feels like you're wiping away everything that's inessential and getting down. And, and there's just something really pleasing about that. She says it's a forgiving format, but it's a very pleasing format. Yeah, Gretchen, you always say outer order, inner calm. Yeah. And this is sort of like inner order, inner calm. <laughs> 
like you're, you're ordering your yes. thoughts. Yes. It's closet cleaning for the mind. Yeah. I think there's really something to that. It's so orderly. It feels good. You know, and another thing, Elizabeth, is I think when you put your thoughts in this way, they seem more lofty. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you might have had a thought, but now putting it in a haiku form makes it seem more transcendent. It makes it seem more elevated. So like what you're saying about keeping a one sentence journal this way, it seems like a very beautiful expression of the thoughts, which you could write in prose, but somehow they sound nicer in haiku. They really do. Well, now, Gretchen, of course, we couldn't issue this Try This at Home without taking it on ourselves. So we both wrote haikus. We did. Now, traditionally, as we said, haiku talk about the natural world. And inspired by my demerit that I gave myself last spring when I didn't go to Central Park to see all the trees in bloom, this spring I have been going constantly to Central Park to see the gorgeous flowering trees and plants. Gold star. Yes, gold star. I wrote two haiku. This is my nature haiku. Central Park in bloom. This year, I made sure to go. Spring passes too fast. Lovely. And then I did one more like what you said about Jack, kind of a capture of the moment one. It is, where did the time go? My girl is off to college. Days are long, years short. Oh, that makes me cry. I know, but you know, it really it really did change my perception of everything to write these. Like, it really does feel more meaningful in this form. It's really transformative. Okay, so how about you, Elizabeth? What's your haiku? Well, mine is sort of in the inner order, inner calm category, because um, I kind of have one track mind right now and a bit of anxiety. <laughs> so when I read it, it'll probably make sense. Mine is... Nerves are a flutter, happier in Hollywood. What will it become? Oh, I love that. Oh, my gosh. So that tells you that I'm sort of like, "Ah," but this is my way of putting that on paper. Yes. You know how if you have racing thoughts or you can't sleep in the middle of the night because all your worries are pressing on you, if you write it down, it can help relieve your mind and help calm you. So I was thinking this would be a good night thoughts problem, Mm, just like for you to try to nail down the anxiety you feel about the podcast. Yeah, I think, I mean, I just love this. I said, thank you so much to Anita for bringing this idea to us. And this is one I definitely feel I can incorporate into my everyday life. Your daily practice. Um, So let us know if you tried this at home and how writing a haiku works for you. And we really would love to see everybody's haiku. So if you happen to be on Twitter If you write your haiku and you use the hashtag happierhaiku, then everybody will be able to see everybody's haiku. That'll be really fun. And maybe we'll read some great haikus in an upcoming episode. If you're not on Twitter, let us know on Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Put it in the comments to the show notes for today, which is always is at happiercast.com slash 117. This is episode 117. Or again, use on Twitter the hashtag Happier haiku. Oh, and I should say, if you're not familiar with the word, you spell haiku H-A-I-K-U. H-A-I-K-U, haiku. I cannot wait to see what people come up with. Can't wait. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. 
Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. So now it's time for a happiness hack. And Alyssa, I think this is a great happiness hack. I have really tucked this one away to use myself. Yes. And it comes from Katie. And she says, my happiness hack is YouTube it. My husband sometimes has trouble making time for home repairs, but he is unwilling to pay for someone to come over and perform the work for us. I have little expertise in making home repairs, so often feel a little stuck when something breaks. We had an ongoing issue with my girl's upstairs bathroom. The toilet flapper would stick open after every flush and allow water to gush through until someone took the tank off and tapped it down into place. I finally looked up toilet flapper repair on YouTube (laughs) and quickly found a professional plumber walking through the process of how to make the repair. Imagine my pride when I walked into my local hardware store Failed flapper in hand so that I could purchase the correct one on the first try and headed home to change it. It worked. From start to finish, the whole repair took me less than an hour. Total cost of the repair was $6.99. Had I realized how simple and inexpensive this would be to do, I would not have lived with the frustration and annoyance of this problem for the two years that it went on. (laughs) Oh, my. She's really speaking my language. And Katie said she went on to YouTube it to learn to cook better, to get knitting tips, to check her weightlifting form, to get new fitness moves, and how to use various gadgets around the house. And as she points out, the thing about a YouTube video is that it's often more intuitive to see somebody explaining things that way, and it's more fun than using the owner's manual. Yeah, I mean, when I look at a manual, (laughs) like my eyes glaze over and my, you know, stomach clenches and I feel like I'm going to crawl out of my skin. It's funny because in my book, Happier at Home, I write about my resolution to read the manual because the fact is when you do take time to read the manual, it's often a lot easier to use something than when you're just like blindly trying to figure it out. But this solution is even better because it is easier often because they're holding it up. They're talking in a conversational way. It's an easier way to get that information that you need. Yeah, it's good because it's like maybe for someone like me who doesn't have patience, this could work. Adam has incredible patience for manuals and things like that. Or we have a new printer, which for some reason, it's just impossible to get a printer to work. He'll spend an hour and a half, you know, on the phone with the printer, you know, company, having them walk him through it. Whereas I would just be like, okay, well, we don't have a printer. This is too hard. I pushed a button. It didn't work. I'll have to print it work. You know, say la vie. I would never think about it again. He has the patience to do that. And I am so lucky that I found that in a husband because I just don't. But I don't know, maybe if I was watching it on YouTube, it would be somehow, like you said, more engaging. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and this is the problem is because sometimes there's somebody who can fix it or has the patience to fix it or the expertise to fix it, but then you're dependent on when it feels like a priority to them. And it just it just sometimes it feels like more of a priority to you than it does to them. And this is, you think about the printer. So often my problem is I'm just like, well, I guess now life doesn't include this, <laughs> this possible yeah. comfort or possibility. So I just have to learn to live without it. The thing is to look for the solution. It's so hard sometimes to remember, like, we can get help. You can read the manual. You can look on YouTube. You can try to figure out what the solution is. And sometimes, weirdly, it's hard to remember that that is possible. Yeah, and the good thing is if you do manage to do something like this, like um, what Katie did with the toilet, you have such a feeling of accomplishment yep. and pride. It's like a huge happiness boost. Oh, yeah. I mean, six ninety nine. if she'd had somebody come in to yeah. do that, how much, that would have cost oh, so much. Yeah, probably a hundred and fifty dollars yeah. for a plumber visit. Yeah, yeah. So um, at least. Yeah, and now she gets the gold star for herself. Yes, excellent. Well, it's a great hack, a great suggestion. Thank you, Katie. So, Elizabeth, it's time for know yourself better, and I'm realizing these are our episode is very listener inspired. So, thank you, listeners, for all these great ideas. We want to highlight all these brilliant suggestions that people are making, and this one is a know yourself better distinction from Harriet. Yes. Harriet says, I know you love to put people in neat little categories. So here's another revealer versus concealer. Some people are revealers. They benefit by sharing goals and habit adjustments as soon as they make the decision. They feel that putting their desires out into the ether helps them to manifest and lends a sense of accountability. I imagine upholders and obligers tend to gravitate this way. I am a concealer. Part of the joy of making a positive change is the announcement. So giving it prematurely eliminates part of my motivation to follow through. Holding a habit change or goal as a secret brings excitement to something that may otherwise feel burdensome and is actually easier to follow through when I am accountable to no one but myself. I'm mostly a questioner, but this last bit may be indicative of my rebellious streaks. Knowing this about myself, I no longer announce lifestyle changes to my husband or others until they've become habit, and I don't talk about short-term goals until after they've been achieved. I found this helpful. Hopefully, you think so, too. Well, I think this is a really, really great distinction. And in fact, I talk about it um, in Better Than Before which is my book about habit change, because people are often told like, oh, you should announce it. You should tell other people. You should bring in their energy. But what I heard from people is just like Harriet says, for some people, that doesn't help. And somebody said to me, it loses its magic, well, which is very mm. much in line with what she's saying. If I tell people, and so I think this is a great thing to know yourself better, because you might feel one way, you might feel the other way. And if people are telling you, you should do it one way or another, well, maybe you shouldn't because people don't see things the same way here. They, they fall into these two camps. Yeah. I mean, I know for me, Gretchen, because as we've you know discussed many times, like accountability is big for me as an obliger, yeah. you know, part of your four tendencies. I'm someone who responds to outer expectations. So announcing like, oh, I'm not eating junk food at work anymore to the entire office that to me helps me keep my goal. Absolutely. Of not eating junk food. Absolutely. And you're 100% correct. And Harriet is 100% correct that this is something where the tendencies really, really do come into play. 
because for obligers, which is the largest tendency, the one the most people fit into, outer accountability is so important. They can use this revealer method to give themselves outer accountability in exactly the way you say, that it can help them to stick to a positive habit change or avoid a negative habit by telling everybody that that's what they're going to do so they can work really well for them. So they might really want to go out of their way to do that. Whereas for other people that wouldn't work, and it might undermine their ability to stick with something, they might feel like, oh, if everybody's expecting this from me, well, then I don't want to do it. Yeah, you can see with a rebel that the second they said they were doing that, and then it was an expectation that they would not be able to do it. They would then have to do the exact opposite. Absolutely. Which is why you wouldn't want to try to like sit down with a rebel child and say, I want to have your word that you're going to practice five days a week on the violin. Because the minute they say that, they're like, I don't want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think there is also, even apart from the tendencies, there's this idea of, do you like to share everything? Or do you like the big reveal at the end? Like, hey, look what I've done. It kind of taps into a lot of different parts of our personality. But here's the other thing. And I saw this all the time when I was studying habits. We're so inclined to tell people what they should do. You should do it this Mm -hmm. way. You should do it that way. My way is the best way. There is no best way. There's only what works for a particular person. So you, Elizabeth, have learned through experience that when you make an announcement like, I'm not going to eat junk food at work, that works for you. So why should anybody tell you that you shouldn't do that? It's like, that's what works for you. If somebody's like, if I tell everybody at work, it's going to make me like want to do the opposite, then that is not what they should do. The fact that it works for Elizabeth doesn't mean that it's necessarily the right thing or the only thing or the best thing for somebody else. And so I think we always have to just think about ourselves, which is why this is an excellent know yourself better question. Once you see that these are two totally plausible ways of going through the world, it's just which one comes more naturally to you and not that other people are going to see the world the way you do. Yeah. And I love that she pointed this out because I do think it's not something everyone would naturally think about. I think you could go through life and have no idea if you're a revealer or a concealer in this regard if you didn't stop and think about it. Because it's not something that comes up every single day, at least in terms of proclaiming goals. So I think it's um, a really smart thing to stop and consider. Well, and I think for some people, they probably are kind of neither. I don't feel like either way particularly helps me or hurts me. And maybe that's because Mm. I'm an upholder. So it doesn't really matter Mm. to me that much what other people want. I mean, for good or for bad. So it might be that you feel like, eh, I don't, yeah, I don't really care about this distinction. I think for some people, it's really powerful. And for some people, it maybe doesn't have as much significance. And that tells you something about yourself too. Yes. Now, I will note this, that one of the things that I really appreciate about Harriet's distinction is that they rhyme. It's are you a revealer or a concealer? And it's funny because of something called the fluency heuristic, or it's also uh, a subpart of the fluency heuristic is the rhyme as reason effect. Ideas seem more true to us if they rhyme or otherwise easier to remember. So I really give her a special gold star for having an excellent know yourself better question that also rhymes. So well done, Harriet. Thank you, Harriet. (laughs) And now it's time for listener question. As always, you can email us at podcast at GretchenRubin.com, or we always love to hear your voice if you leave a voicemail question, and you can leave that at 774-277-9336, or easier to remember, 77-HAPPY-336. Or if you prefer, you can email us a voice memo. Whatever works for you, we'd love to hear from you. This week, Gretchen, we have a voicemail from Cara. Hi, Gretchen and Elizabeth. I wanted to ask you an introvert-extrovert question. My husband and I are both very introverted. 
And uh, we managed to spawn at least one so far incredibly extroverted children. Uh, we have a six-month-old also, and his personality, the jury's still out on. But our almost six-year-old is a talker. He wakes up in the morning just ready to go. He doesn't have a thought that he doesn't express out loud. And it's wonderful, and I adore every second with him. But as an introvert who needs the recharge time, it, it's very hard for me sometimes to be around all of that, especially on weekends when we're all home together, going around to activities. I, I just feel kind of exhausted at the end of the day, partially from, you know, just running around with a six-year-old and a six-month-old, but also just from the constant, the constant talking, the constant noise everything around having a very extroverted child who wants to socialize constantly and two very introverted parents who just need to figure out how to uh, get a break. So any any thoughts, any insight about, you know, having an introvert and an extrovert living peacefully under the same roof and getting sanctuary and getting what they need uh, would be a huge help. Thank you. Well, this is such an interesting question, and it's tying into this idea of extroversion and introversion that we talked about at length in episode 107 when we interviewed Susan Cain, who wrote the book Quiet, about the power of introverts. So this is an interesting question because it's about family differences. Yeah, I mean, I can see how tough that would be for two introverts, but at the same time, you don't want to thwart your child. So what should they do? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is Kara's already done, which is to accept the fact that you're different. Mm. It's not like your child's misbehaving or that there's something annoying or wrong with your child. It's just that he's one way and that parents are a different way, which I think is the most important starting point, which is how do we make this work for everybody, not somebody needs to change? Because I think a lot of times with parents and children, it's like, well, you, the child, need to adapt to me. Or I'm being forced to adapt to you. But here it's like, okay, how do we manage this? Yeah, I mean, one thing to do, it seems like the obvious thing is to try to let your child know that you need quiet time. So you're not telling him, hey, you talk too much. (laughs) You're just saying mom and dad need quiet time. One way I could see doing this, Gretchen, is at six, you know, kids don't really nap anymore. Mm -hmm. But I do know some people sort of try to continue like quiet time instead of napping. So it's like, oh, on Saturday from one to two, everyone goes to their corner, you know, with you could, you know, your child could be in their room with books or toys. Mom and dad are off reading a book or, you know, listening to a podcast. And so it's this sort of regimented quiet time. Well, that's exactly what we did. We, and we called it quiet time. And it was right after lunch. And it was everybody has to just do something quiet. And it was great for that because it was a respite. Um, I, I know what this is like a little bit because my younger daughter, Eleanor, she's not so much this way anymore. But when she was little, she would talk to strangers, not in a dangerous way. But, you know, mm-hmm. well, I remember one time we were staying in a hotel and there was a pool and I turned my head and she was deep in conversation with some adults when she was like five right. years old. And I mean, I would never have spoken to an adult I didn't know when I was five years old. And then you as the adult have to go manage that, which I did not want to do. Um, so I felt like she was pulling me into social situations that I didn't necessarily want to be involved mm-hmm. in because she was just more outgoing. 
so I know what that feels like. It, it can feel hard to manage. And here they're bo- both parents. I think sometimes if you have an extroverted parent, they'll do the thing, the more taxing things, maybe like going to a kid's birthday party where you have to stay. And that's very loud. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of people. But here they're both introverts. So they can't, they can maybe take turns, but it's mm-hmm. not like they can hand out assignments. It'll be a taxing situation for, for both of them. So they have to recognize that. I also think, you know, if you, you can arrange play dates, yep. like at six, when you have a friend over, you really don't have to be right there in it with them. You can, um, you know, just kind of be off to the side, making sure nothing, you know, dangerous happens. So maybe you could have a friend come over as a drop off. So there's not then another parent that you have to talk to for two hours (laughs) so that your child has somebody to talk to and isn't necessarily engaging with you. And you can be off to the side, you know, reading or doing whatever you want to do. And I wonder if there's also more structured ways of talking, because he sounds like he's in that mode. And, and both my children went through this when they're just talking, 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 talking. It must be, you know, developmental thing. Mm. I don't know. Um, at six, can you read? I guess some kids can read and some can't. So he could read aloud to you or maybe look at picture books and like, tell me this. Here's a picture book. You tell me your story. What's your story of these pictures? Mm. And then you like lie on the floor with your eyes closed. So there's still the talking, mm. but it's more structured and it's kind of more controlled. It's not so cacophonous. That might be... That's kind of a compromise. It's kind of a compromise. It's kind of a compromise. Yeah. Well, here's another thing. I don't... Do you know about the game of Hush Puppies? Yeah. (laughs) If you don't know Hush Puppies. The old Hush Puppies. That old gambit. So Hush Puppies, if you don't know, is a game where the, the, the goal of the game is to go the longest without talking. This is a great game. Like, let's say you have three kids in a car and you can get them to play hush puppies. They will just be as quiet as they can be for as long as they can be because that's how you win the game. And it can be a really nice thing to pull out of your your back pocket if they'll fall for it. She only has one child, really, who could could participate in hush puppies. But maybe you could be like, ooh, do you want to set a record? Let's see if you can set a hush puppy Mm. record. How long can you go, you know, with your mouth zipped closed? Sometimes kids get really into that. Yes. I know Jack loves the idea of setting records. Yeah. Yeah. So this seems like something where people might have good suggestions for Kara. So if you're an introverted parent with an extroverted child or vice versa, or you have some insight or some suggestions or strategies for things that she could use in her family, let us know, because that would be really interesting to hear what strategies people have come up with to deal with that kind of situation. Yes. All right, Gretchen, it is time for demerits and gold stars. And this week, you are up with a happiness demerit. Yes. And Elizabeth, you were right to say that this is like one of my go-to demerits because definitely many, many demerits that I have earned over my lifetime have fallen into this camp. And it's something that I'm absolutely aware of. And I've done so many things to try to work on this demerit, but it's deeply ingrained in part of my personality. So I think I will be fighting this fight as long as I live. And this is snapping. And by Mm. snapping, this is the word that we use in our family, which is when somebody just sort of lashes out with like a quick biting comment, doesn't stay patient, doesn't keep a sense of humor, just snaps. And I snapped at Jamie about the summer schedule. Mm. So this is exactly the kind of thing that I find very stressful and difficult to deal with. So we have our summer. It's complicated because Eleanor's going to camp. Eliza's going off to college. So there's different weeks. Mom and dad are coming to New York City for graduation. There's all these moving parts. It's kind of a different summer from what we've experienced before. So we have to sort of break the mold 
And this is the kind of thing that I find very stressful, too, because whatever I figure out, it's going to end up being the most inconvenient thing. And I'm going to really regret mm-hmm. it. And I, I have to think about so many factors and I can't remember all the factors. And it's just very, very stressful for me. So I mapped out what I could. And then I was like, OK, we're going to sit down as a family and talk about the calendar. So we do. And the thing about Jamie is in exactly this kind of situation, and it's totally predictable. So I should have gone into it being like, I know Jamie is going to respond in this way. And so I just need to keep my cool and keep a sense of humor, whatever. That's going to make it more fun and easier and in the end work better for all of us. So it's both nicer and also uh, strategic to to have that frame of mind. But I did not. (laughs) So Jamie's answer is to start making prankish non-responses. You know, uh, (laughs) not answering questions. He's a questioner, so he hates answering questions anyway, making jokes, which to me feels like you are slowing down this process. You're interrupting my train of thought. You're not giving me the quick answers that would allow me to hold my train of thought. And I just snapped at him. Mm. And sometimes with a demerit, you want to defend yourself. And we talked about this, how it's not really saying you're sorry if you're like, I'm sorry, but it was your fault. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe I'm trying to say that this is really Jamie's fault for <laughs> jerking my chain or whatever. He's prankish. He's, pr- he's, he's prankish. <laughs> he's prankish. But I give myself a demerit because the fact is that's how he always responds in those situations. I know that. That's the guy I married. If I want him to cooperate, it's going to take five extra minutes because Jamie's going to give me his prankish answers. But in the end, he knows that we have to figure out the summer schedule. In the end, he will cooperate. And in the end, he'll do whatever he needs to do to hold up his end of the bargain. So I really have no big underlying complaint here. It's just it didn't unfold the way I would want, but I should have managed it. It was utterly predictable and just get over myself. Yeah, mm. it was never going to be a pleasant conversation because it's an unple- it's, it's hard, but it was fine. It's just like, why? Why do it? I just do it all. The, I just snap. And I just I'm tired of it. I'm tired of well, it. Because then you feel out of control. I do. I do. I do. So, Elizabeth, lift us up. Tell us a gold star to end the to end the episode. Gretchen, I love my gold star this week. Um, and this week it goes to a TV show that um, has been around for three seasons. So it's not new, but I'm new to it. Ah. And a fourth season is coming. My gold star goes to Mozart in the Jungle, which is on Amazon. And it is about classical musicians, the fictional version of the New York Philharmonic in New York and their lives um, and about they get a new maestro. He comes in and he's a big character um, and a fun character. It ranges in age like some characters are 23 and some are 70. So it just covers this whole gamut of people who live this life of a classical musician and, you know, what they go through and their problems and their love lives. Ooh. And Gretch, here is a clip from the first season to uh, wet your whistle. It is my honor to introduce to you someone special. At 12 years old, he was the youngest person to ever win the Mahler Award for Young Conductors. At 23, he conducted at La Scala. At 25, he lifted the Oslo Symphony out of bankruptcy and placed them amongst the finest on the world stage. He has been courted by Boston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Munich, and we got him. Please join me in welcoming a man who need only be introduced by his first name, your new conductor and musical director, Ah. Rodrigo. Ah, 
delightful. I just a world I love living in. And what makes it so delightful? Is it just this cool other world? Is it kind of like the movie Fame? Is it the interesting problems that arise? Like, what is it about it? You know, it's I think part of it is everyone's really good at something like it's just fun watching people who have this amazing skill that you can't even imagine having. Yeah. So it's like experiencing, you know, how a cello player, you know, deals with having carpal tunnel syndrome. It's like, oh, what an interesting, you know, problem that I can't even think about. But it's also like everyone in the show is a nice person. Oh. So I enjoy seeing nice people. <laughs> it's like this is us. Struggle with daily problems. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like it's not like evil people <laughs> plotting to, you know, manipulate each other and do awful things. Of course, they have problems and obstacles and there's high stakes. But it's just a nice world. And it's like a little window into New York City. Um, it's it's a lot of it's on location. So it's also really a love letter to New York and to the arts. And the acting is incredible. You know, so I just I would love anyone to just try it. If you don't like it, you don't have to keep watching. Just <laughs> try the first episode of Mozart in the Jungle and see if you're as delighted by it as I am. I'm, I'm Everyone I encounter, I'm trying to get them to watch it. Excellent. It's always so fun to have a new TV show. Yes. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Write a haiku. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. And we would love to see your haiku. So if you're on Twitter, Put it on Twitter with the hashtag HappierHaiku so we can all enjoy each other's haikus. And Elizabeth and I will be posting our haikus there, too. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, as always, please be sure to tell a friend, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also subscribe to Happier in Hollywood, launching May 18th. Very exciting. Also, my Better app. I wanted to remind you about the Better app. It's my new free app that's all about the four tendencies. So if you want to talk about your tendency, if you want to talk about someone else's tendency, if you want to talk about maybe issues or questions or experiences that you've had related to the tendencies, there's a very lively conversation over there. You can check it out by going to betterapp.us or if you're in the App Store, just search for Better Gretchen Rubin and you can join us there for free. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. <laughs>